0: We got some good stuff here planned for the rest of y'all. Um, I know you've been hearing me yak quite a bit this morning, but I'm going to continue. If that's all right. <laughs> Maggie Moo, thank you. All right. So this morning, this morning we're going to be diving into um, a few different times in the life of Jesus that. Um, kind of always threw me for a loop, you know, so I'm just going to be kind of raw and honest this morning and share. You know, did you ever read through, you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all about the life of Jesus, and you're reading through, and Jesus either says or does something that just makes you cringe. Like, it doesn't seem very Christ-like, what Jesus just said or did, and yet he is the Christ, so everything he does is Christ-like. And he never sinned and so everything he said and did was never sin but i look at it and i'm like man if i saw somebody doing that like i I, i'd I'd label that sin you know so i i still have some growth and maturity to to deal with in my own life but uh you know one of those times that, that really sticks out to me are those instances um you know where jesus did all this name calling um if you're familiar with with those instances um he did a bunch of name calling Uh, especially to the, the leaders of the church, you know, the Sadducees, elders of the law, teachers, you know, Pharisees. He was pretty rough on them. He, he called them names like broods of vipers, you know, just vicious snakes, right? He called them, um, hypocrites. He called them murderers. And this is my favorite one. They were evangelists. They went out and they reached the lost. And you know what Jesus called their evangelism? He said, you are sons of hell. And when you go out and evangelize, you make them twice the sons of hell that you are. Because your father's a devil. Like, ugh, just, I don't know. Am I the only one? It kind of makes you cringe, you know. If I called someone a son of hell, like, you know, unless they're in that, a, a biker group called that, it just seems kind of mean. You know, it seems kind of un like But it was Christ-like because that's what Jesus did. Um, and although it makes me really uncomfortable to read you know, I, I can understand, like this one, God kind of explained to me, and I understand that he wasn't sinning by doing it, like this was just a, believe it or not, a, uh, a loving way of getting their um, attention, because whenever I name call, it's an emotional reaction, you're just ticking me off, I just can't stand your face anymore, and so I'm just going to call you some names, you know, or, you know, it's just, it's really out of just a really embittered heart, you know, or irritable heart, but Jesus didn't emotionally react when he did those things. I believe his heart was sincerely out of love, and he was just kind of trying to get them a wake-up call, you know? What he spoke wasn't some, you know, slanderous name about them. It was a truthful reality, trying to wake them up to who they actually were so that they would turn and be saved, right? You know? Um, after all, they were the ones that were leading his people, so his intent was to motivate them to repentance, to really save them from themselves, right? Right? when he name called. Um, and this morning we're going to read from a couple of other instances that really just kind of made me cringe and I really didn't understand for the longest time. And I'm to try to explain them the way the Spirit's kind of explained them to me and see if we can all uh, leave here with that same understanding. Um, but really when, when you read through the Bible and it makes you cringe and it offends you, that just means we've got some changing to do, right? It just reveals something in me that still needs to change. It's the churchy word of sanctification, you know? You might be saved, but uh, i still got some flesh hanging on to this. I'm, I'm not totally spirit-led, and we all got those areas in our lives. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Um, and I'm actually going to read from Matthew, and then if you want to find and put your finger in another place in uh, uh, Mark chapter 11, it's where we're going to spend some time. But Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 18 We see this encounter with Jesus and his disciples. It said early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but he found nothing on it except for leaves. And he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree withered, immediately just withered up. Now, we're going to read the same account from Mark a little later on, and we're going to learn something that's even a little more cringy for me that made this, like, why would he kill his own creation? Um, but he, we actually see that that fig tree, it wasn't fig season. It was doing what it was supposed to do, and yet he cursed it for not having figs out of season. Like, that seems a little unfair. You're expecting a tree to be bearing fruit, and it's not even the season for it, you know? It just doesn't seem fair. I mean, And I get to think, like, was maybe Jesus hangry, you know? I'm not going to mention any names. I'm not going to say whether they're present here this morning or not, but I got a couple of family members. They get seriously hardcore hangry, you know? You miss a meal, and the next thing you know, it's like, boom, they're just snapping at you, you know? It's like, what I do? I walked in the room. Why am I getting yelled at, you know? They're hangry, you know? And I, at first I'm like, well, maybe this was it. Maybe Jesus was just hangry, you know? I mean, he was a man, and, you know, but... I, I don't think that's the case. Um, maybe some of you can relate to that. You know, irritability, anxiety levels are high, patience runs low, you know, fuse is pretty short. Uh, it just happens. And, but it just seems so unfair to this fig tree. It wasn't in season. Why would Jesus curse it for not having figs out of season? Just, again, it just, it always has bothered me. It just always struck a chord with me that it just didn't seem right, you know? But Jesus wasn't unfair. And he didn't sin. Just because I know that. It's a truth. So I've got to try to figure out why am I misunderstanding this? What I believe happened after sort of prayed about is Jesus making a very, very significant point. He did it, making sure that all the disciples saw it, all the disciples heard it. And then he later explained it so they'd all understand it. Jesus wasn't hangry. He was teaching us. He was instructing us. He was showing us a significant, very significant life lesson that's easy to miss when you're just offended in your heart because it's not fair, right? How many times do we miss out on what God is trying to do in our lives because we have hardened hearts that are offended because this isn't fair. I don't deserve this. I shouldn't be going through this right now. Instead of just being like, Lord, why am I going through this? What are you trying to do in me? What are you trying to teach me? What are you you trying to change in me? When you remain like clay and... Softened and malleable you know God can do some amazing things through some really hard stuff If we just trust him through it that's what I believe he wants to do this morning I believe he was giving us an example that there is no off season in the kingdom of God there is never a season in your life whether it is bountiful blessed right now or whether it is dry and hard there is never a season of life that we are not called to bear fruit Never a season in your life when Jesus doesn't expect you to bear the fruits of the Spirit. We so easily excuse ourselves away. Lord knows I've done it how many times. I've probably, you know, yelled at how many of you just because I was in a bad mood or something. Ask the sound people. You know how that goes? <laughs> I've scared off so many people by my, yeah, anyways. I'm working on it. I'm working on it, you know. Um, but... How many times do we we excuse it away? Well, I've had a bad day here. I didn't, you know, blah, 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 blah. And really, there's no excuse for it ever. We ought to be able to bear fruit in and out of season. And this is why. We're going to learn here this morning together of how to bear fruit in and out of season. And really, the key is just staying rooted in Christ. Staying rooted in Him. Because He is our source for everything. And it's not just a... It's so easy to say it. It's another thing to live it. And it's so hard to describe of how to do that, but we're going to do our best this morning to understand how do we practically stay rooted in Christ so that we are able to bear fruit in and out of season. How do we live our lives in full trust and confidence in Him? In Him that not only will our leaves always be green, but we will always bear the good fruits of the Spirit. How do we become like that? Uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 through 8. We, we love these couple of verses, right? They're really, they're really fun, Uh, It's an exciting thing, but it's hard to live out. Jeremiah 17, verse 7 through 8, he prophesied that blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him alone. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. and It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. I love when the Old Testament is quoted in the New Testament and you just see it's all God's Word, you know, and it happens all the time. This is another one of those instances. So what's the alternative to trusting in the Lord and keeping our confidence in Him, keeping our our roots planted into, into Jesus and through the Holy Spirit? How do we... What is the alternative to living a life like that? Well, if you choose to put your roots in anything else in this life... Jesus said this in John 15, verse 6, If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away, and it withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I want to be on fire for the Lord, but not this way, right? (laughs) Man, when I read this, I hear hell, you know. I don't want to live a fruitless, withered-up life that has one good purpose, and that's to keep somebody warm for a few seconds in the fire, right? Those are the alternatives. You keep yourself rooted in Christ so that you're fruitful and your leaves are always green. You live a full, abundant life. Or you put, pick up your roots and you try to put them in other things. And they may satisfy for a season, but the drought's coming. There's only one source of living water that never runs dry. right? We sang about last week, the deep, deep wells, digging up deep, deep waters, yeah in Christ alone. It's the only way. So keep this here in mind. We're going to go now to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. It's the same, same encounter, just a different person. And I love this about the word of God. This is how you know the word of God wasn't like plagiarized and forced, um, you know, whenever it was copied into different languages. There's some discrepancies within it. It's not that it's wrong. It's that, that you're hearing a, a, a different account from two different people. Ask a police officer, if they go to a crime scene and everybody's telling them the same story, you think they're going to believe that story? No, no, they, they got together, they came up with the story and they're all sticking to it, right? But if you go to a scene of an accident and the cops asking different people who witnessed it, they're going to give you slight differences, right? Some people saw a little more, a little less, you know, everybody remembers it differently. Mark records this same account a little differently than Matthew did. And he said, Jesus entered Jerusalem. And he went into the temple courts. So we are getting a little bit of backdrop, a backstory too. He went into Jerusalem. He went into the temple courts. We sang about them this morning. I taught about them a few weeks ago, those different areas of the temple courts. It said that Jesus looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. And so I want you to keep this in your mind as we continue reading forward. Jesus went to Jerusalem. He went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, and then he went back to Bethany with the disciples. You know, it's really easy for us to look around to see all these problems, all these injustices, all this unrighteousness, and just immediately snap and react to it. Nate, I've never flipped out in rage, right? Always cool and... (laughs) No. No. There are days when I walk through the house and I'm like, seriously, guys, how many times do I have to tell you? Like, seriously, we've got like, h- how much do I spend on this soda? And there's, you know, half drank there, two sips out of it here and everything just laying around and messes everywhere, you know, it's like, there's a show rack right here. Like, bloop, how hard is that? It takes two seconds, you know, because <laughs> I still live in this flesh. So I'm just going to be honest this morning. But Jesus is teaching us there's a better way to live. <laughs> there's a better way to live. We react so often in our emotion, and especially with social media. It's easy just to throw something out there and get all kinds of people agreeing with you and rile them all up too, you know. The news loves it. I love it. You're watching the news, and they're like, okay, can I get your reaction, you know, to this? They play a clip of something that was, you know, really miserable, and they're like, can I get your reaction? We want you to react. And they want everybody who's watching it to, your heart's like pumping. You're like, this is so wrong. I've throwing it, you know. They want that. They want a reaction. They want to keep your blood boiling. They want you to be upset, you know. It's so easy in the world today to do that, to just shout out all your grievances, your opinions, and to rally other people around you that agree with you so that you're all griping and complaining. And what does it accomplish? Nothing good. It doesn't lead to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control, does it? Fruits of the Spirit. Nope. Galatians 5, it leads to the other fruits of the flesh, right? Bitterness, rage, slander. So which way does God want us to live? I feel like this morning God is encouraging us and calling us into a more godly life. To look at how Jesus responded. He went into the temple. He saw everything that was wrong. And then he left, and he slept on it, right? This is reacting less and responding more. Jesus chose to respond, not to react. And there's a huge difference between the two. How much better would our lives be if we stopped just flipping out and reacting when things aren't right, and we took some time to be like, okay, God, you you see this, you know it, you know how I'm feeling right now, you know... What do you want me to do about this? How do you want me to respond? Because two wrongs don't make a right. Me flipping out at the kids because the place is a mess, never once has it actually cleaned the, uh, the mess, actually. Never once has it actually worked, you know? Got to figure out a better way of responding, you know, so that we're all on the same page here and understand why it's wrong and how we could live a little better. Jesus looked around. He saw all these issues in his own house, the temple. The temple's where the presence of God rested in the Holy of Holies, behind the temple veil. And it's where all the priests were there, you know, always doing their sacrifices and, and their incense burning and their, uh, you know, praising and worshiping and instruments and the song. And all these things were happening. That, that was the house of the Lord, you know, the temple. Jesus went in that place and he saw all these things that were just wrong. It just rubbed him the wrong way because he knew they weren't right. People were getting taken advantage of people were making money off of the worship of god and it just wasn't right he saw these things and it, it offended him i'm sure but he slept on it and then it says in verse 12 the next day as they were leaving bethany jesus was hungry this is the same account here seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf he went to find if it had any fruit When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. His disciples heard him say it. And then on reaching Jerusalem, so remember, Jesus didn't just turn a blind eye to what was wrong. He didn't just sweep it under the rug to keep peace. He dealt with what was wrong, but he wasn't reacting to it, he was responding to it. He went back to Jerusalem. He manned up. He took responsibility for something that was wrong in his own house. and He did something to change it. He didn't react. He responded. React less, respond more. And this response leads to another interesting thing that Jesus did that doesn't really seem very Christ-like by initial appearances. He entered the temple courts. Maybe. Okay. Yes, he entered the temple courts, and this is what you'd see on the news today, right? Um, And he uh, began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. For those of you who don't know, when you were going to present yourself before God, you were to bring different sacrifices and offerings, bull rams, lambs, doves, The dove was like the poor person offering. That was like the least that you could give to God. And what were people doing? They were selling them there, taking advantage of poor people, right? Making a buck off of them because they probably couldn't afford it elsewhere. So you buy it right there at the the temple, right? It says in verse 16, and Jesus wouldn't allow anyone to carry any merchandise through the temple courts. And another uh, recording of this in the gospel says that he actually formed a whip seems like a reaction i don't know does anyone else read this and like seriously like you just picture the chaos that happened i mean he's flipping the tables money's flying everywhere he's he's got you know who knows cattle and oxen and there's doves flying and just madness you know he's driving them all out of the temple courts back out into the world where they belong they didn't belong there they didn't belong there it wasn't right what they were doing taking advantage of people and you know (laughs) You don't exactly get high-quality teaching like this in church these days, do you? It's what it says in verse 17. As he was doing this, he was teaching them. You know? <laughs> Talking about an object lesson right there. You know? I don't want Jesus to teach me. <laughs> Just you know, take it easy. I mean, come on. Ex- explain yourself a little bit. You know? I mean, flipping out, literally flipping out. This little phrase makes me laugh that he was teaching them. He made quite the scene, driving all those people out, but he was teaching them, and he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. A house of prayer for all nations. You know, it's not necessarily that it was wrong that people were selling things, and, you know, that there was, you know, merchandise flowing. It's just where it was taking place and why it was taking place. That wasn't the purpose of the house of God. It was a house of prayer. You know, and sometimes in, in our country, it's easy to get things mixed up. You know, sometimes we, we try to mix in, you know, um, um, different things and, and we start losing purpose of why the church exists. And that's why at New Hope, like we're always, you know, myself and the elder board, you know, we're always trying to strive to make sure that we don't get distracted, that we understand why we're here. You know, it's not just to be a social club and it's not to, you know, be political. It's, it's, it's to just get us to focus on what God wants to accomplish, on His will, on His purposes. And Jesus said that, uh, the temple is to be a house of prayer for all nations. Now, He quoted it from this. Again, going back to the Old Testament. Everything that happened in the New Testament happened in the Old Testament, or it was prophesied in the Old Testament. But Jesus was teaching them something. This was just one verse from this scripture. In Isaiah 56, verse 1 through 7, it says, this is what the Lord says to Isaiah. Oh, I, I forget how many, I think 800 or so years before this happened with Jesus. said, maintain justice and do what is right. For my salvation is close at hand. My righteousness will soon be revealed. Think about the prophetic word. Jesus chose to quote a verse from this. And this was happening. Maintaining justice, doing what was right. His salvation was there, very close at hand. His righteousness was being revealed. And he and goes on in Isaiah. Isaiah said, blessed is the one who does this, the person who holds fast to it, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and who keeps their hands from doing any evil. Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord Say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I'm only a dry tree. I always wondered, like, why were those two scriptures intermingled? Why was it that Jesus was in Jerusalem flipping tables, and it happened to happen at the same time that he dried up the fig tree? Then you go back to Isaiah, it's like, oh yeah, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy here. Like, that's crazy, the the dry tree the fig tree. I love it. I love it when God reveals those things. Jesus wasn't angry. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew this word of Isaiah because he's a living word of God, right? He knew this word of Isaiah, and that word of Isaiah, I believe, was clearly in his mind when he cursed that fig tree and when he was flipping tables in Jerusalem in the temple. I believe it was an object lesson revealing this word itself. That it would be a house of prayer for all nations, for all people. And I'm not going to go into any detail, but for those of you who don't know what a eunuch is, it's somebody who couldn't have children, right? Couldn't have children. They had no, chil- no way of passing on, you know, the, uh, their, their legacy to anybody. And he said, let no one complain like a eunuch that I'm only a dry tree. I can bear no good fruit. I can't be, you know, bear fruit naturally. Because this is what the Lord says in verse 4. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, who hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple, within its walls, a memorial. I will give them a name that is better than sons and daughters. They will have a legacy, a legacy that all the world will go to and see forever and ever. He said, foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, who minister to Him, who love the name of the Lord, those who choose to be His servants and they keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and they hold fast to my covenant, to these I will bring them into my holy mountain. I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's what Jesus quoted here. But do you see all, how this is all intertwined and intermingled? And, you know, the, the cursing of the fig tree and, and the, the Lord flipping tables and making sure that the Sabbath was kept holy and not desecrated by doing what's wrong. Well, not wrong in itself, but just in the wrong place and at the right wrong time. And then Jesus went on. So it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all the nations. But Jesus said, but you've made it a den of thieves, right? That's what he said. Then the chief priests and the teachers heard this. They began looking for a way to kill him. They were afraid of him, though, because the whole crowd was amazed at this teaching. So when evening came again, Jesus and his disciples again went out of the city. And in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree that was withered from its roots. And Peter remembered. And he said to Jesus, Rabbi, look. That's the fig tree that you cursed, and it's withered. Jesus answered, have faith in God. Have faith in God. And truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and doesn't doubt it in his heart, but believes what they say will happen. It'll be done for them. Whatever I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you've received it. It'll be yours. And if you stand praying, see, we love to stop there. We love to stop there. Just pray for it. Whatever you believe in my name, it'll be received. And Jesus goes on and he says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone. So is anything exempt from this? No, if you are holding anything toward any one. And most all of us sitting here this morning are, because life is hard and people are unfair. Jesus said, forgive them. Forgive them. So that your Father in heaven may also forgive your sins. And this is a very controversial verse. The NIV left it out because it wasn't in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The, the King James Version included it. And it really, people get all up in arms about it. I don't think it's that big of a deal. In verse 26 in the King James, he records, but if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in for heaven, forgive your trespasses. It's similar to the other verse. That's heavy. I have an easy time asking and believing God for anything in prayer. I love praying over people and just believing God's word over them. But when I've got issues with people and I'm having a hard time forgiving them, that's tough. And what helps us to remember is to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. You're only giving to others what you've received from him. I didn't deserve my salvation. I don't deserve to be forgiven for my sins. I deserve hell. I really do. But God said, no, you don't. I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to forgive you of all your sins. They're on the bottom of the ocean floor as far as east is from the west. It's like they never happened. You are righteous in my sight. Now go and forgive others the way I've forgiven you. (laughs) Again, easy to say, hard to do. But here's the reality. There's no off-season in the kingdom of God. There's never a time to not forgive. There's never a time to not bear good fruit. We can always bear good fruit always. Joy, it's always in season. Peace, always in season. Love. In fact, the Bible says that there's nothing that can stop these things. Not even a spiritual drought in your life can stop the fruits of the Spirit. They can grow in your life. Just stay rooted in Christ because he's asking you to do what he has already done. He's the pioneer, the author. He has gone ahead of you. He has made a way where there was no other way. You can't do it on your own, but you can let him take you by the hand and take you there. Able to forgive, able to release, able to receive an abundance of life as a result. There's no off season. There is never a time when the good news about Jesus does not apply. Never a season of life where God's word does not apply. There is nothing we can ever go through that God can't bring hope and faith and peace and joy and self-control and kindness he, he can bring all those things into the midst of those circumstances he can produce good fruit in you and every season we need God's word we need prophecy we need hope we need courage to stand and to do what's right especially when we don't feel like doing it <laughs> especially when my flesh is telling me no don't you, they mm-mm, they deserve this right you know they earned this nope we gotta forgive. Sorry. okay. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. We're gonna end on this because we are to be ones who bind ourselves to the Lord, who stay rooted in Him. It's spring, and I don't know about you all, but I had have some things springing up that I killed last year. Apparently, I didn't get the roots. That's what you're called to be. Even when life cuts you down, even when life has destroyed you, springtime's coming. There may be sorrow in the night, but his joy is coming in the morning. Even though everything may look dead out there right now, it's going to burst forth a new life real soon. There's a new season coming, right? And it's true for you as well. God's word is going to bring you into a new season, a way that you can't even perceive, a way that there was no other way. It's coming. You're not, it's not over yet. There's still hope. God didn't write your, your last chapter yet because you're still breathing. He still has a plan, and he still has a purpose through all this, and it is good. It is for your benefit and for his glory. Paul wrote in this letter to uh, Timothy, if you want to turn there, 2 Timothy chapter 4. And this is the same, the charge that Paul brought to Timothy. I believe that God is bringing to you today a charge. God is faithful. He has made a covenant. Every one of his promises are yes and amen. Every one of his words to you are certain question is are we going to hold up our end of the bargain right over and over and over again god's promises are conditional if my people do this then i will do that over and over and over again and so paul is writing to timothy he's a young leader in the church and he's giving him this charge and he says in the presence of god and christ jesus who will judge the living and the dead in view of his appearing and his kingdom i give you this charge and this is the charge that god is given to each one of us here today preach the word be a people of the word it's all that matters in life your circumstances will bow to the name of jesus and to the word of god that's called a miracle a miracle is possible because god's word reigns sovereign over it all it'll change and transform your circumstances preach the word Be prepared in season and out of season. In other words, there ain't no off season. Okay, we're we're not, it's not like sports where you're transitioning from one season to next season, next season, next season. And oh Lord, yeah, you you, you sports families know what that's like, you know, it's just no off season. But in the kingdom of God, there's no off season and there's no tiring season. You always got fresh grace every morning to take on the world. It's always new. So be prepared in and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. And sometimes those three come hand in hand. Don't leave out the encouragement. Don't correct and rebuke. Don't flip tables without also encouraging and be like, okay, this is wrong, but let's get it right. This is what God wants to do. He wants us to be a house of prayer. And you know what happens when we pray? He answers. Like, let's, let's do better than just, you know, selling rams, lambs, and pigeons, and doves. You know, let's Let's do something better. And he said to do all these things with great patience and careful instruction. When you rebuke, correct, and encourage, do it as a intentional response, not a reaction. And parents, you know it's tough when you're raising kids, you know, to have great patience, great endurance and to carefully instruct. I just want to read that, you know, my boy's cheeks. I mean, that, that ain't right, you know? But I got to gently teach and instruct and explain, OK, do you understand why this was wrong? Do you understand why you're getting spanked right now, you know, whenever they're toddlers? man, he, He'd probably bend me over these days, you know? <laughs> but whether he gets the car or not, whether he gets to go to Nikki's or not, that, 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 yeah, anyways. I, I, I still got a little bit of parenting authority and control. Yeah, it feels good. But, you don't just punish. We're not called by God to be punishers. We're called to bring correction. Correction. Right? They gotta understand what, what they did that was wrong and why it's wrong. Not just why it's wrong, but why there's something better. Why it's better to choose this. Then they understand, I'm loved. And my parent wants me to live a good life, a full life. They want me to avoid all these pitfalls in life, you know? Correct. With careful instruction and great patience. Respond, don't react. For a time will come, and I believe those days are here and now. They are fresh and alive and well. A time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they gather around them a great number of Number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from truth and they will turn instead to myths. I love Mythbusters, by the way, so I still watch reruns of it all the time. We don't want to live by myths in life, we want to live by truth in life. God's truth. Let God's truth offend you. I love it when God's truth offends me because that means. God still loves me. He's still correcting me. He's still bringing me to maturity. Right? And Becky's not here to amend that. She's looking for that day when I finally grow up and mature. All right. In verse five, and this is what we end with. But you keep your head in all situations. That's a good word this morning, right? Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. That's what God's calling you into this morning. Endure hard, keep your head in all situations. React less, respond more. Keep a cool head. Live by faith, not by feelings. Live by God's word, not by what's rising up within you and you just want to spout and flip out, right? React less, respond more. Respond by the leading of the Holy Spirit In a way that puts God's Word into action. Endure hardship. The promise is that our lives would be ones that bear good fruit, even in times of drought. Tough times are gonna come your way. Jesus said, in this world you'll have troubles, but take heart. He's overcome the world. Do the work of an evangelist, right? Not all of us are evangelists, but all of us are called to evangelize. Tell people the good news about Jesus. There's people who need some hope in this season. There's people who need some courage in the light of fear. We've got it. We've got a living hope. So just share that with them. Tell them all about Jesus, the free gift of salvation that's available to them, and every one of his promises that are yes and amen, that are theirs to grab hold of. Tell them some good news in the light of all the bad news that we're hearing lately. And then to discharge all the duties of your ministry. You know, just as Jesus intentionally cursed the fig tree and flipped some tables, he intentionally created you on purpose for a purpose. You're not an accident, no matter how many times you may have been told that in life. You're created on purpose for a purpose. You are born for such a time as this. There is a work that Jesus wants to accomplish in you and through you, and he's chosen you for that. You're it. You have the giftings, you have the resources, you have everything you need. To fulfill everything that God has called you to do. So whatever he's calling you to do, do it with all your heart. Don't look down on it. Do it with all your heart, with everything you've got. Because he held nothing back for you. That Greek word for discharge, it's the word philephrio, which means to fully accomplish. In other words, to be fruitful. To live a full, fruitful life. There is no off-season in the Kingdom of God, the Word of God is always relevant, always brings transformation, always brings new life, so be prepared, in and out of season, ready or not, Jesus is coming, and it's not just that He's coming to rapture the church and raise the dead to life, He wants to come into your personal situation. He wants to go out into this community and into the lives of these people who are hurting. He wants to bring hope and restoration. And guess who he has chosen to do that? You and I. We may not be much, but we're everything that God needs. You've got everything you need. Everything you need to live a fruitful life in every circumstance, no matter what. So let's just close in prayer. So Jesus, help us to trust you and your word with confidence. It's easy to hear these things. It's easy to read your word, but you know how hard it is to live out. Jesus, because you lived it out perfectly in this weak flesh, we're asking you to help us do it as well. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to live a fruitful life. Help us to stop reacting to everything around us and to start first chasing after you, seeing what your word has to say about it, and then responding by your leading. Help us to show the world around us what you have done in our lives. I'm not the same person I was yesterday. I'm a new creation. There's something different about me, and that only difference is you, Jesus, what you fulfilled in and through me. Help me to be a life that when people see me, they see great love. They see joy and peace and patience and kindness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. That they see less bitterness, and rage, and envy, and bitterness, and selfishness. That, Lord, they they see less of me, and more of you. Let it be done from this day forward in my life. I look to you, Jesus, because you're the only one who can. In your name, Lord. Amen. All right, so let's go out there and change this world, right? It's a new season. It's a new day.